Now please turn with me once again in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Romans 1 verse 18. For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, those who with unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the ministry of his holy word. Father, this morning we consider a subject not very popular in our day, probably never was, your wrath. We pray that as we consider this, the Holy Spirit will shine light on it and you will make it to be spiritually profitable for every soul that hears it, sinner and saint, and also that it will honor and glorify you because you're worthy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in this text, Paul shows us why sinners need Christ. Why they need the righteousness of God. Look at the context. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, why do you have confidence in the gospel because it the gospel is God's power it's omnipotence in action for a purpose to save sinners from every kindred tribe and tongue and Paul why does the gospel do what it does why is it God's power to rescue sinners because in it is revealed God's righteousness from faith to faith because the gospel message reveals the virtue of God. It, 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 it makes known, it discloses the story of Christ and of his person and work and the righteousness that God provides, the righteousness in God's eyes that comes from the person and work of Jesus, the virtue of his perfect life and atoning death, the righteousness that is closely connected with saving faith, that it's received as a gift from God by faith, and that God gives it as a gift to everyone who believes. Well, why do we need God's righteousness, Paul? Why do we need Christ? For The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So this text has a crucial role in his inspired presentation of the gospel. And as you can tell from the emphasis of my reading, The focus of this text is the wrath of God. The wrath of God puts the righteousness of God into perspective. 
It is the explanation. It is the rationale. It explains why sinners need Christ. And it explains why Christ and the righteousness of God received by faith is the only hope for sinners. And it explains why this is good news. That God in grace would tell people who deserve to go to hell how to get to heaven is a wonderful thing. It's good news. And so the wrath of God is the focus of the text. And so first and foremost, this prompts us, me, to ask a question. What's God's wrath? Right? It's God's wrath. And the second question is, what causes and provokes God's wrath? Right? God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then the last question, what relevance does God's wrath have to the gospel and to us? For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So, based on the rather, I don't know what the right word is, influence of my spiritual grandson, instead of talking about the concept of God's wrath and what provokes God's wrath and the relevance of God's wrath, I have to speak about the idea of God's wrath and the incitement of God's wrath and the importance of God's wrath. And you see why I blame my spiritual grandson for those headings. So first of all, consider with me the idea and then the importance or relevance and then the incitement or the provocation, or the cause of God's wrath. First of all, the idea of God's wrath. What is God's wrath? What does it mean? Now, there is a text that explains the basic idea of God's wrath. God's wrath is his anger, but it's not just any anger. It's a very intense special kind of anger and that which makes wrath, wrath is explained in Romans 12 and verse 19 where we read Romans 12, 19 do not avenge yourselves beloved but defer to his wrath now the original just simply says it's a striking statement it says Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but defer to the wrath. But that's a possessive article. Context shows it's a possessive article, which means it should be translated his. So, do not, and some of the translations put in italics, the wrath of God. But I think 
in my own two cents, the best translation is, do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but defer to his wrath. I think that's the best way to translate it. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. See the connection? Wrath is connected with vengeance. Vengeance is repayment. Vengeance is repayment for wrong done. Vengeance is punishment for the wrong. You did wrong, now you're going to suffer. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is connected with wrath. Don't avenge yourselves, beloved, but defer. When you're wrong, when something horrible is done to you, so horrible that you can't just cover it with a blanket of love and forget about it, it's horrible. You can't sweep it under the rug. Needs to be avenged. Don't become a vigilante and go into the vengeance business yourself. But rather defer to his wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay says the Lord. So by faith, you take that wrong to God's wrath and you leave it there. You deal with it, Lord. And I'll get a little bit... It's funny. I can understand now why I did it. Because what I want to do right now is just make the application, which is what I did the last time I preached it. <laughs> I was going to wait to do it at the end and say, can you see that this has profound implications for us? I'll get to that in a minute. Hold that, because we'll go back to that. Think about that. Maybe you've been grievously wronged in your life. Don't become a vigilante. Get even with the people that have wronged you. But defer to the wrath of God. But here's the point. This shows us what God's wrath is. God's wrath is his anger. Oh yes, it's closely connected to his anger. But it's a special kind of anger. It is a vengeful anger. It is a response in the heart of God. He feels angry because he's been insulted. He feels angry with an intense anger called wrath, a strong feeling of displeasure, indignity, and affront that he feels when he perceives human sin. And his wrath is his vengeful anger and indignation. It is his settled intention to avenge and punish the wrong of sin. If I might paraphrase it, he says, this is wrong. I intend to deal with this. You are not 
going to get away with this. I will punish this with a punishment that this behavior deserves. You're not going to get away with this. That's wrath. It's not just, you did wrong. That's anger. But it's you did wrong and you're not going to get away with it. That's wrath. I am going to deal with it. I absolutely will punish it. I will avenge it. Vengeance is mine. Defer to his wrath. Vengeance is mine. This is wrong. I'm offended by it. And I will avenge it. That's the wrath of God. That's the idea. Got it? You see why that's not popular? You see, people want to hear about a God full of love. Amen? But if you don't talk about the wrath of God, you just cut the gospel off at its knees. Why is the righteousness of God relevant to all mankind? Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Paul doesn't identify the relevance of the gospel with uh, people's emotional problems. You, you have emotional problems, turn to Jesus. Look, at, the gospel is not about your emotional problems. I acknowledge that if you have emotional problems, you turn to Jesus, it could be helpful. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say, you know, it's the power of God to save because people have emotional problems, people have problems in their marriages, people have financial difficulty. It's not about that. It has an impact on that, but that's not the way it's packaged. That's not what makes it relevant. What makes it relevant is the wrath of God. And it shows us the tremendous importance. It leads right into the second point. All right, so what? You know, so God has wrath and God's going to punish. What, what, what relevance does this have? Oh, this crucial text introduces the entirety of the rest of this section of Romans. It introduces 118 to 23. It introduces 118 to 32. And it introduces the entirety of 118 to 320. I would have read the whole thing this morning. I thought, well, I would have been reading the scripture to a quarter to 12. And I just didn't want to do that. But this is a tremendous importance. We looked at the idea. What is it? It's that God feels anger. And it's a, the kind of anger where he says, not only this is wrong and this offends me, but I absolutely intend to avenge this. You are not going to get away with it. That's the wrath of God. And what relevance does that have? Look at the wrath of God revealed from heaven. First of all, it introduces 118 to 23. 
He says, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against everybody that suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. And then he opens up how they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And God willing, next week, the sermon's going to be on 118 to 23, the suppression of the truth of creation. The suppression of general revelation. People see God's eternal deity. They see that there is design and unoriginated power that created the world and they suppress it and they won't admit it and they reject it. And then it introduces the entirety of 118 to 32. How does God respond to this rejection, this suppression of the truth of creation? It says three times, wherefore God gave them up. Divine abandonment. God gave them up. God gave them over. God said, in essence, you reject the truth of creation, I leave you to your own wickedness. He gave them over to sexual promiscuity. He gave them over. He gave them up to sexual perversion. He gave them up to what could be translated a garbage mentality. A, quote, reprobate mind, as some translate it. And then he describes that reprobate garbage mentality, a lack of common decency, a lack of common grace, as we say, a lack of those things that happen when God gives people over. And why does he give them over? Because they suppress the truth of general revelation that they see in creation, that he designed and made the world in his unoriginated power and it is intelligent design. They see it. They know it. And they reject it. Not innocently, but inexcusably. And in response, wrath. And how does God punish them? How does God take vengeance on them? He takes vengeance on them by removing the restraining influences of his common grace. He takes vengeance on them by giving them over to the desires of their own hearts. Let's them go. Let's them go into sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, and a lack of common decency, a garbage head mentality. That's the wrath of God. And this text introduces that present display of God's wrath in this present age, divine abandonment. That's the importance of it. This is why a society that's been given over to these sins needs Christ. This is why Christ is able to rescue, and only Christ is able to rescue, a society abandoned by God to its own sin because it rejected the knowledge of God that it had in creation. For the wrath of God is being revealed. How is it being revealed? Upon whom is it being revealed? In this present age, you can see a picture of it. It's being revealed in the divine abandonment of those that reject the truth of creation that they see in general revelation. That's why sinners need Christ. That's the point. That's the importance. That's the relevance of the wrath of God. But then it goes further. He not only pictures 
God's present wrath on, 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 on pagan society. He also confronts the human conscience. And he does that. And there's a transition in chapter 2. And I read the beginning of chapter 2. There's a transition. There's a transition from the third person to the second person. He's painting a picture in chapter 1. And he describes in the third person, depicts pictures, the wrath of God presently being revealed in the divine abandonment of those that reject the truth. But then he goes from the third person and picturing and talking about it to confronting in the second person. And he addresses directly, he says, but if you, you, second person, he goes from description to confrontation. And the confrontation is not about the wrath that's already here. The confrontation is about the wrath to come. He confronts the conscience of Gentile and Jew. Not with the present wrath, but with the wrath to come on Judgment Day. As we read, verse 4 of chapter 2, Or do you, still confronting the conscience, think nothing of the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering, failing to realize that his goodness leads you to repentance and talking to you, confronting you who are in sin, according to your hardness and impenitent heart, you are accumulating for yourself what? Wrath. When? In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's talking about the wrath to come on judgment day. And he's speaking in the second person. And he's confronting Gentiles and Jews with the wrath to come. So there's the wrath that already is. The vengeance that God takes now by abandoning sinners who reject creation. And there's the wrath to come. The vengeful anger that will be inflicted upon the wicked on judgment day and beyond forever. Jesus describes it in Matthew 25 when he says, The Son of Man comes in His glory. And all the nations and the righteous and the wicked will be gathered before him. And then he's going to say to the wicked, Depart, you cursed, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away to eternal punishment. And Paul says in Second Thessalonians that when he comes, he will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance who will suffer punishment in that vengeance, even eternal destruction in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone forever. The wrath to come on the judgment day at the second coming of Christ is not merely divine abandonment where God says, here, go do your own thing. You refuse to acknowledge me I leave you to yourselves. Go live in your promiscuity and in your perversion and your lack of common decency. That's the wrath that is now. But the wrath to come is far worse. The wrath to come is this. Depart from me, you cursed. 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these shall go away to everlasting punishment. The wrath to come, the vengeance to come, is the eternal damnation of the wicked, body and soul in the lake of fire. And he confronts sinners with the wrath to come. Then, chapter 3, well, there's another little section in there. It's also a confrontation, but it's a very special confrontation. It's a confrontation in 2.17 to 3.8 of his Jewish countrymen and their false hope, that they have a false hope that they're going to escape from the wrath to come, and he confronts them and exposes their false hope and how it's not going to deliver them from the wrath to come, and he answers their objections. Then, in chapter 3, verse 9, to the end of chapter 3, he brings this whole section about why sinners need Christ to a close because of the wrath of God. And he says that the, we have before laid to the charge of Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. And he says, this is relevant because all human beings, by nature, are liable to God's wrath and in the state of sin. And he says, not only does the scripture confirm this, he quotes from the scriptures, but then he says, God's holy moral law, the Ten Commandments, expose it. For by the works of the law shall no flesh, no human being, be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So that's what he's talking about. And that's the tremendous importance of this text and the tremendous importance of the wrath of God. The wrath of God that is right here, right now, in this age. In any society and upon any people that reject the knowledge of the Creator and the wrath of God that's coming on the day of judgment. The wrath of God that's here now. You can see it all around you. You have any doubt that God has wrath? If you do, just take a look at our society. Take a look around you and you can see it. It's absolutely certain. It is a certain guarantee of the wrath to come. Well, you can't see that yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We haven't stood before God in judgment yet. But if it's true... If you want to see whether God has wrath, you take a look at any society that rejects the knowledge of the Creator. And what you're going to see in that society, to the extent that it's rejecting the knowledge of the Creator, you're going to see sexual promiscuity, you're going to see sexual perversion, and you are going to see a lack of common decency. And those things are going to grow and grow and grow because God's going to give them up. And that is the evidence that you can see with your own eyes of sinners abandoned by an angry God. And if God in wrath abandons sinners in this age, he will absolutely and certainly damn sinners in the age to come. This shows you the tremendous importance 
of the wrath of God. That's why we mustn't shrink from talking about this. We mustn't ever be ashamed of it. This is why the gospel's relevant. This is why people need Christ. It's why we need Christ. It's why everyone needs Christ. Because the wrath of God is being revealed right now. And the wrath of God will be revealed when Jesus comes on the day of judgment and forever after. I'm not thought of that text from the, every time I think of it. I, it really... Uh, the, the text that we sang this morning. When I hear the wicked call on the rocks and hills to fall, when I see them start and shrink on the fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, will I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. You think of somebody you love somebody you really love on the fiery deluge brink going into the lake of fire forever and ever. That's a horrible thought. It really is. But that's why people that we love need Christ. Because that's what's going to happen. And if you want the evidence of it that it's absolutely, certainly true, just look at our society. And how God has abandoned it to sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, and a lack of common decency. How these things are on the rise. Right? You see it? It's kind of like, it's hard to miss it. You've got to be blind to miss it. But it's the evidence, indisputable evidence, that when God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay you're not going to get away with this. He means it. Not going to get away with it. Which brings me to my last point. What is it that provokes God's wrath? What's the cause of God's wrath? Well, the text tells us. It says, and I refer to this, thanks grandson, as the incitement. So you have the idea, God's vengeful anger, the tremendous importance, the significance, so what? This is why people need Christ. And the incitement, what provokes God's vengeful anger? Notice it says human sin, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's the general idea. And then he becomes very pointed and specific and concrete. Men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, that's what provokes the wrath in this age, and hypocrisy. You judge others and you do the same things that you condemn other people for doing. That provokes the wrath to come. So it's ungodliness and unrighteousness. All ungodliness and unrighteousness provokes the wrath of God. And then he becomes very specific and pointed. And he connects the wrath that now is to suppression of the truth of creation and the wrath that is to come on Judgment Day with hypocrisy. Moral hypocrisy. And God will expose the moral hypocrisy of the wicked on the Day of Judgment. Just like God visits with vengeful anger 
the wicked suppressing the truth that they see in creation, he visits them even now by abandoning them to their sins. Human sin in general, ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Ungodliness is to be unlike God morally. And human ungodliness misrepresents God because man is the image of God. God is good. God is holy, supremely dedicated to his own glory. God is just. And God is faithful, honest, and reliable. And when sinners are not good, but selfish and greedy, dishonest and unreliable and not holy, not dedicated supremely to God's glory, but to their own lusts for power, for pleasure, for ease, for whatever they want. And they misrepresent God. God is insulted. God is slandered. God is caricatured by human beings that are supposed to be a living, visible representation of what he's like and instead are living, visible misrepresentations and caricatures of God. They misrepresent him. They slander him. They caricature him. And he is offended. And he says, in essence, vengeance is mine. You are not going to get away with this. If you do this, you misrepresent me, you offend me, you are a caricature of me, you slander me. Just by the way you live and the way you act and the way you talk, you are not going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with it in this world, and you're not going to get away with it in the world to come. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And unrighteousness is similar. It's the idea of not doing what God says you ought to do. So God says, do this. Unrighteousness says, no way, I'll do what I want. God says, don't do that. Unrighteousness says, oh, I'll do exactly what you said not to do, because I don't have to listen to you. That's unrighteousness. Unrighteousness and ungodliness. How does God respond? God responds to unrighteousness and ungodliness with wrath. Unrighteousness is wrong. Ungodliness is wrong. It offends me. And you're not going to get away with it. That's what incites the wrath of God. So, by way of application, as we close this morning, We looked at the idea. What's the idea of God's wrath? God feels anger at wrong. And God says, this is wrong, it offends me. And wrath is his commitment, his resolve, his intention, his total resolve to punish it. You're not going to get away with it. He's going to avenge it and punish it. What's the importance of it? Well, that's why the world needs Christ. Because of God's wrath in this age and of God's wrath in the age to come. And what incites God's wrath? Human sin, ungodliness, and unrighteousness. 
God says you're not going to get away with it. So? So what? Well, this is a warning to sinners. You're listening to the sound of my voice. You're not right with God. You need to get right with God. You know why? Because you're not going to get away with it. If you reject the knowledge of the Creator, you're going to be abandoned to a lack of common decency, perversion, and promiscuity. And if you're not right with God when you die, you're going to stand before God in judgment. And you're going to hear those awful words, depart from me, you curse. I don't want you to hear those words. I don't want anybody that I know and love or care about to ever hear those words. I don't want it to happen to you. And I entreat you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Take to heart this warning. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Sinners are not going to get away with it. God is going to avenge it. It's really, that's why you need Christ. Not, it's not complicated. Not ultimately about your emotional problems or your financial problems or your addictions or anything else. It's about the fact that God's going to avenge the way you live. The way you misrepresent him and disobey him and disregard him and slander him by your life. Because you're supposed to be a picture of what he's like and you're a picture of what he's not like. I entreat you. He, he says to you, why will you die? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that he turn and live. Don't continue to treasure up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. Turn away from sin. Call upon the Lord Jesus, and he will rescue you. Now I come back to where I wanted to start. I wanted to do application right at the beginning, but I restrained myself and I held it off till now. This is, this is to me, one of the most tragic things about truncating, watering down the gospel and saying, well, you know, it's really not popular to talk about the wrath of God and God doesn't actually have wrath and God is all love and nothing but love and isn't that a wonderful thing? No, it's not a wonderful thing. So why is it a wonderful thing? Because. Here's why it's not so wonderful. And now I'm talking to Christians now. To Christians. Why is a wrathless God not so wonderful? Because if God has no wrath, then God has no vengeance because... Defer to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. And what is wrath? It's vengeful anger. I will repay. So erase all that. God is all love, nothing but love. God only has love. God has no vengeance. He's never going to punish the wicked. He's not that kind of God. I'll never serve a God like that, we hear. Okay. Now what? You've been grievously wrong. You've been molested. 
You've been a crime victim, beaten up. Somebody in your family was raped. Now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with that rage? What are you going to do with that bitterness? What are you going to do with that vengeance? I'm going to become a vigilante. Okay. That's not what the Bible says. So what's going to happen to you if you're grievously wronged? You're going to have nowhere to go with it. You can't go to God. Why not? Because God has no wrath. He's all love and nothing but love. You can't just drop it because it's eaten at you. So, you're going to spend your whole life as an angry, bitter, vengeful person. And maybe, if you're not really powerful, you'll take it out on somebody less powerful than yourself. So, if you're an older sibling, and you've been grievously wrong, you take it out on the younger sibling. Or if you're the youngest sibling, you can't take it on anybody, you take it out on the dog. Because, you know, you can't take it on anybody else, or maybe the cat. But you got to take it out. you got to get that vengeance out. Because God has no wrath. So I'm sorry, but I don't agree with the idea that a wrathless God is such a wonderful being. A wrathless God who has no vengeance and will not avenge the wrongs done to his people leaves his people angry and bitter and vengeful. Is that what is that good, you think? To be angry, vengeful, bitter people? I think not. And it's wrong. It's unbiblical. And this is the blessing of the wrath of God. The bounty of the wrath of God for God's people. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but defer to his wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So you don't have to go around with bitterness and vengefulness in your heart. And you don't have to become a vigilante avenging the wrongs of the world. Forget it. Don't do it. But rather, defer to the wrath of God. Take it to God. Lord, You know what wrong they did to me. You know this awful thing they did to me. You know what happened to me. You know what they did. I can't just let it go. They need to be punished. It needs to be made right. They can't just get away with it. I can't just drop it. Here, Lord, by faith, defer to the wrath of God. Take it to God. Leave it with God. By faith, leave the vengeance to God. Say, well, what if the person that did it is unconverted? Yes, then you'll see them punished in the lake of fire forever. Let me ask, is that enough? 
to avenge the wrong done to you? Seeing, I hope so, seeing as how you deserve to be in a lake of fire yourself. I hope that's enough. But what if they're a Christian? Then they were punished on the cross. Is that enough? Is the cross enough for you? Is the lake of fire enough for you? So it doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. You don't have to spend your life with bitterness about people that wrong you and mistreat you. You don't have to live that way. You can defer and you should defer to the wrath of God. Thank God for his wrath. Thank God for his wrath. We don't have to be angry, bitter, vengeful people. And then when we realize the people that wronged us, it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. It doesn't matter whether they come to say they're sorry or not. I don't have to carry the bitterness and the vengefulness around in my heart. It's not a matter of what they do. It's a matter of how I respond. And if I respond by faith, I don't, it doesn't matter whether they repent and say they're sorry. It doesn't matter whether they get converted. All I have to do is take it to God and defer to his wrath and say, Lord, they did this horrible, awful, evil, wrong to me. I leave it with you. You're in the vengeance business. You promised vengeance is mine. I will repay. Okay, you repay. it. And if you're going to repay it on the cross, that's fine with me. And if you're going to repay it on a lake of fire, that's fine with me. But Lord, I deserve to go to the lake of fire as much as that person that wronged me. And so, yeah, have mercy on me. Have mercy on them too. And you're free from bitterness. You don't have to live with a vengeful, bitter spirit in your heart. Thank God for his wrath. You don't have to live with it anymore. Not one more day. So, if you're looking for people that say, oh, the wrath of God, I'll never serve a God like that. Oh, don't include me with that bunch. Do I deserve to go to hell? I do. Do I deserve to go to hell as much as the worst sinner that ever lived? I do, God knows. I'm not going there because of his grace, and you don't have to go either. And thank God for his wrath, because I don't have to spend my life in bitterness, in vengeance, because of the wrongs done to me in my life. I don't have to live one day with bitterness, because I can defer to his wrath. I entreat you, dear Christian, if you have been grievously wrong, and some of you probably have, and sometimes, dear people, in life that we don't go looking for trouble, trouble comes looking for us. Innocent, sweet people, and trouble goes looking for them, and finds them, hurts them, wrongs them. Terrible wrongs are done to sweet, innocent people. Sweet, innocent person, grievously wrong. You don't have to live with bitterness. Take it to God and leave it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. People are not going to get away with the evil things they do. They're not going to get away with it. They may think they get away with it. They think they get away with it in this life. But they're not going to get away with it. God's going to
is the idea of his wrath? Vengeful anger. Tremendous importance of his wrath. It's why everybody needs Christ. What incites his wrath? Human sin, ungodliness, and unrighteousness. So what? So get right with God. If you're not right with God, and if you are right with God, don't live in bitterness. Defer to the wrath of God. May God be pleased to bless his holy word. Let's pray.